We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's the week of June 28th, 2021. On this episode, we recap what the fan experience was like. As for the first time since 2019, Guaranteed Rate Field was back at 100% capacity. Our friends from the 108 will join me to share their experience and also provide some useful ballpark hacks if you're thinking about attending a future White Sox game. Uh, The next series for the White Sox is at home and they'll be playing against the Minnesota Twins and Brandon Warren from Access Twins will join me to preview that series. At 33 and 43, what does this 2021 season still mean for the Twins? Do they believe there's a chance for a run that puts them back in the mix for the American League Central? Brandon, Brandon and I will discuss. And we've got plenty of P.O. Sox questions this week. We'll answer at the end of this episode. Jim is on vacation, so I'll be flying solo. The Chicago White Sox are 45-32 and 32 after the weekend and still have a two-and-a-half game lead in the American League Central over Cleveland. They lost two out of three against the Seattle Mariners, and that one win got dicey late as the Mariners made a late run against Jimmy Lampert. During the Sunday games, uh, the White Sox got another injury scare. Jose Abreu was hit by a pitch that struck him in the knee, and thankfully x-rays came back negative for a fracture, but it's definitely going to leave a mark. And we don't know, as of this recording, if Jose Abreu needs to go on the injured list. If he does, the earliest he could return is July 8th, which is an off day while the team visits Baltimore to prepare for the final series before the All-Star break. That's if Abreu has to go on the injured list, and if it's just for 10 days. Any longer, and Abreu's not coming back until mid-July after the All-Star break when the White Sox return home to play a home series against the Houston Astros. Again, a lot of ifs. Hopefully, Abreu doesn't need to go on the injured list. 
he may need a day or two off to make sure that his knee doesn't swell too badly. That's the best hope, is that Abreu can bounce back and he's back in the White Sox lineup. Despite how poorly he's hit this month of June, the White Sox need Abreu. They don't have the depth to overcome another injury to a core player. No team in baseball really does, but the White Sox are already thin as is. Which brings me to the most popular talking point about the White Sox since Saturday evening. Eduardo Escobar. Escobar went 4 for 5 with a home run and 5 RBIs against the Padres on Saturday. It helped the Diamondbacks finally snap their 24-game road losing streak. So, a little history. Bob Nightingale of USA Today, very popular with the Chicago White Sox and breaking Chicago White Sox news, tweeted, Eduardo Escobar, 4 for 5 with a double and a homer and 5 RBI and soon on his way from the D-backs to the White Sox, is about to end the D-backs 24-game road losing streak before he departs. They are up 10 to nothing in the 8th over the Padres. Soon on his way from the D-backs to the White Sox. Well, that sentence garnered a lot of attention on Sunday when everyone woke up in Chicago. NBC Sports Chicago reported that a deal is close based on Nightingale's tweet. Ozzie Guillen spoke about it during the White Sox pregame show as I'm pretty sure Ozzie could just call Eduardo Escobar and ask him, if a trade is completed, much like Shannon Sharp did, if you remember that whole fiasco on his show on Fox Sports, when he just simply called up Julio Jones and set the phone to speaker, and Julio Jones shared his mindset on what he wanted to get out of Atlanta, what he was expecting, or if, if there was a trade with the Dallas Cowboys that really set social media blaze that for everyone that covers the NFL. I'm sure Ozzy could do that with Ed, with Eduardo Escobar. In Chicago, it's not if Eduardo Escobar is being traded to the White Sox, it's when. I'm fortunate enough to know people within the Diamondbacks, and I've asked them what's going on, especially since Escobar did not start on Sunday, but did have two at-bats in the Sunday game, and he picked up another RBI, so Escobar's got 52 RBIs for the season. This is what I was told from a Diamondbacks perspective on what's going on with Escobar. Number one, the Diamondbacks have a policy for players who are recently coming off the injured list or an injury that they have planned days off. Escobar recently had an MRI last week. So the D-backs plan on giving Escobar the Sunday game off until he had to come in and have two at-bats. In terms of being traded... The Diamondbacks have informed Escobar he'll be dealt before the deadline. That makes sense. Escobar is a free agent after the season. The Diamondbacks are going nowhere in 2021. Teams that are going to need help, especially in the power department or in the infield or maybe in a corner outfield spot, possibly DH for American League teams, there's going to be some interest in Eduardo Escobar. So it makes sense that all parties understand a team going nowhere, a veteran like Escobar, you're going to get traded. Nobody from Arizona that I spoke with knows what Bob Nightingale is talking about. 
they are unaware of any imminent trade between the Diamondbacks and the White Sox. So here we are in Chicago with everyone waiting to see when Eduardo Escobar is going to wear the White Sox uniform again. And you got people in Arizona that don't understand what the hoopla is all about because there may not be anything on the horizon. Some, maybe nothing happens this week. It could be much ado about nothing. But after Jose Abreu's injury scare, the White Sox really need another bat. And I know Eduardo Escobar is not the sexiest pick. You can read my column about how I feel regarding Escobar on SoxMachine.com. I think the White Sox need to make this deal happen. And disregarding the rumors, as far as timing, I think the White Sox need, need another bat before they go on that nine-game road trip where they visit Detroit, Minnesota, and Baltimore. That gives Rick Hahn four days, and that's 4th of July weekend. Can Rick Hahn get a deal done with Arizona to get Escobar in a White Sox uniform if what Bob Nightingale is reporting is true and carries a lot of water, or I should say a lot of weight. Because if what Nightingale is tweeting and reporting is true, the White Sox could use Escobar tomorrow in this lineup because this is a lineup that continues to sputter. And they just need some type of offensive spark. And Escobar is hitting a lot better in the month of June. And he's got 17 home runs for the season. That would easily lead the White Sox in that department. And the White Sox are their last. The White Sox are last in the American League in the month of June in home runs. That was not expected before the season started. But we didn't expect Eloy Jimenez and Luis Robert to suffer major injuries which really puts a dent in their home run hitting abilities. So we'll see. That's how I feel about, and that's what I know about, with the Eduardo Escobar situation. And it will be a popular talking point until there is a resolution regarding Escobar, whether he gets traded to the White Sox or he gets traded to another team. But that's where we are with Eduardo Escobar. And we just have to have our fingers crossed that Jose Abreu does not have to go on the injured list. Because if he does, I'm assuming Gavin Sheets will be called up to help out as far as offensively. I'm assuming that Andrew Vaughn will get more starts at first base. I'm assuming Zach Collins, when he catches games, Yasmani Grandal will be playing at first base. And that leaves a spot open at DH, which if you're a Mercedes who... Seemed to have a good Sunday. He had a some pretty big hits for the White Sox in their win against Seattle. If he's starting to ramp up, that would be a big boost. This would be the time, Yuma Mercedes. It's time for April Mercedes to return because the White Sox could really use him at the end of June. Again, the White Sox are 45 and 32. They're not going to lose those 45 games. They are banked. But for Rick Hahn... In these next 30 days, this is where he's going to have to earn his paycheck. What can he do to add to this roster to help the White Sox win another 45 games that's remaining on the schedule? Because I do believe if the White Sox can get to win 90, they're going to win the American League Central. And that will help them as far as postseason seeding. 
I know it's tough to see another 45 wins with the way that this White Sox roster is currently built. And maybe Eduardo Escobar helps the White Sox get there. We'll see. But I do think Rick Hahn really needs to start getting to work. And I think the White Sox need to make an addition, uh, add another bat to help them. And I guess if Jose Bray goes on the injured list, that's even more of a reason for Rick Hahn to quickly find another solution. While it wasn't a good result for the Chicago White Sox this weekend, it was the first weekend that capacity limits were lifted. 100% capacity for the first time since 2019. Over 90,000 fans attended the three-game series against Seattle, even braving inclement weather on Saturday. So what's it like going back to a jam-packed stadium post-pandemic? Are there new procedures fans have to deal with or any stadium hacks White Sox fans should be mindful of? Well, joining me are some of our friends at Sox Machine who know all there is to know about going to White Sox games to drink beer, watch baseball, and BS with other fans. It's Beef Loaf and My Sox Summer from the 108 and Beef My Sox Summer. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having us, Josh. Love it, man. Appreciate you. (laughs) So, my sock summer, I'll start with you. Uh, How was the experience returning to a full capacity (laughs) guarantee Ray Field this weekend? Uh, I I, I would say um, if I was checking a box, it would be much left to be desired. And the the reason is, is because Friday was probably the worst night. I've ever been, and I said this in the soak today, and I'll say it again. It was the worst baseball game I've ever attended in my entire life. Like being able to sit down and like order off an app and not even get a response and be like, listen, we're, we're backlog. We're not getting you your, your food. So maybe you should go stand in line to get a hot dog. Like, I mean, there was no response. It was nothing. And, and that, that just made me really sad because it's like, listen, you, you, you wanted this. You've been mm-hmm. planning for this for probably what is it, Josh? You're a numbers guy. 19 months since we had a uh, a full capacity game. Like in the first time, this is your sh- this is your showing out, and you fucked it up. Like and that that bothers me. And then like they then they'll say this. They'll say it was great Saturday and it was great Sunday, but it was not what it was Friday. Friday was the game. That was the game. Everyone was there, like came out and wanted to be there. And then uh, there was lines everywhere. And we need vendors. We need our guys in the union out there slinging hot dogs, slinging beer, doing their thing. And those because they are they they are what we would say. What what was the word we use in pandemic? They are like uh, not emergency workers. They're essential, essential. workers. Yeah, they're essential workers out there. And, and we didn't have those, and it showed. It showed mm-hmm. so bad. Like I, I I just was I was just very disappointed in how it came out. And there'll they'll be excuses and they'll throw it around everywhere. But like to the, for the most part, it's like, it, it shouldn't have been that way. It just shouldn't have been like that. So beef, did you have the same experience as my sock summer over the weekend? I did. I did. Friday night was, was a little rough and, and we kind of didn't get what we were expecting in a, in a full house, uh, you know, but by the time you got to Sunday, so Saturday was a little bit better. It was easier to get into the ballpark. It was a little bit easier with the lines, and everything by Sunday, which was today, we were able to get on the app. We were able to order stuff. It was coming quickly. So the White Sox did rectify the problems, but I agree with my Sox number. Like Friday night was like the Super Bowl, and they kind of screwed the entire Friday night up. 
It is, though, something they need to get used to. There's going to be 30,000 fans on weekends, kind of every game. And, and it's, it's not something that they have, have done the past decade. I mean, when they have a giveaway, that's you know, about the only time you're going to get 30,000 plus. I think for the rest of the year, you're going to have 30,000 plus every single weekend. So this was like the practice run. They finally figured it out by Sunday. It was encouraging that they did as we, we finally got the things we were expecting. But Friday night was, was very brutal. We expressed our uh, concerns, I'll say, out there on Twitter. And, and the White Sox seemed to address it almost immediately. So one good thing about the White Sox is when they make mistakes like that, they seem to take the feedback. When, when the fans are like kind of pushing a little bit and saying, you know what, you didn't do this right, they look at it and they say, okay, well, we got we to gotta fix something here. I agree with my Sox summer. It's not an 100% fixed. We really would like to have vendors coming down and, and servicing the people. That would make it 100% fixed, but it was much better by Sunday. So my sock summer is a follow-up with the vendors. Mm-hmm. Do you foresee them coming back? Because that is like the lacking part of going to a baseball game is having somebody, you know, barking out hot dogs here, or I got beer. I always yep. forget that guy's name at guarantee Ray field. You know, they're <laughs> right. part of the characters and part of the atmosphere of attending yep. a baseball game. Uh, having gone to the Sunday game myself, they are missing. Uh, are they coming back? So from what I could hear is tomorrow there is going to be a discussion with a lot of the people that work within the Sox and they're going to ask for some money. They're going to upgrade their systems is what I've been told. I don't know if this is true. This is what I've been told. And I, I think we're going to see vendors back because I think they know. And I think the vendors stood strong on, on Friday and which is why they're, this is happening. They're going to try to make it the same as what they're doing on the North side. They, they want to, they want a nice, uh, easy way to vend to the people and be able to get their tips. I think that was like the big thing that was missing. Um, so yeah, no, I think vendors will be back and, I, and hopefully we see them starting tomorrow and we'll, but maybe not, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens, but like, yeah, no, Loaf's right. Like it was fine today and it was fine on Saturday, Saturday. There was like nobody there. Like they, they like <laughs> rolled right. out. Like by the time we showed up, like, and I, I feel like Loaf, you and I, like in our white shirts, totally drenched by like rain, scared yep. everybody away from the 108. <laughs> so like they were, they, people were not even going to come close to us because they could see our nipples and stuff. But, uh, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Uh, but no, it was, a, it was just a, I, I, I hope they're coming back. And no, Lowe's right. They, they did, they did rectify the situation. And, and from, from the people I talked to uh, today, they know that there was an issue and they're going to make it, they're going to make it right. Cause they, I mean, Josh, how many times have we heard nine figure losses? Yeah. They had a, they had a seven figure loss on Friday, like easily. Like if they, had, if they could get people through lines quickly, like they would, like they did today, they would have made so much money. And it's like, why not put out a little bit of extra money and make more money? I mean, that's what it is. And I, and, I, and the guy that I talked to, he understands that. And he's going, he's going right to the top, but he's going to make it work. Well, Beef, I know we've spoken in the past about hesitancy, you know, pre-vaccine, about being in a stadium with 30,000 plus fans, post-vaccine world now, and things are opening up again. How was your comfort level attending a game with 30,000 plus fans? It was actually much higher, and it, it was much higher also because I was back in my own original seat, uh, my, my full-season ticket seat, sitting around all people that I know that I know that are vaccinated as well. So, it, like, it actually helped out that I – you know, th- this is one of the cool things about being at Sox Park. A lot of the people that have season tickets in a certain area 
they know all the people that sit around them. And we almost, I, I met a guy at turtles and we were talking about this uh, idea like a couple of weeks ago. And he's like, it's almost like you have neighborhoods in Sox park, people that have sat in those season tickets for a long time. They kind of know each other. They get to know each other from those seats and you get a comfort level. And that's, that's the way I felt being back in our seats. We have all the, the, all the one awake crew is there and we're all sitting in our seats and everyone's vaccinated. And so it makes you feel even a little bit more comfortable than that. But you see it in the, you know, in the, in all the common areas, the bathrooms and stuff, people are being a little extra cautious, washing their hands, all that different stuff, which I wouldn't expect because a lot of times you see people just skipping the line, not maybe not uh, taking those extra precautions, but I think post pandemic, people are a little more careful. And so my comfort level is extremely high in the ballpark, not to mention you're outside. So like being outside COVID, it's a little more helpful. So my sock summer, how was tailgating over the weekend? I mean, come on, those guys, we have the on tap sports guys. And then Shane Reardon, I know he's your best friend, Josh. And they just, they like ripped it up this weekend. And, 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 and I give them all the credit. Uh, White Sox, Dave showed up with a couple cases of Miller Lite. We showed up with a couple cases of Goose Island, but those guys really did it right. Shane had made patties for like to make hamburgers. He had the cheese and the brats. I mean, this is, this guy's insane. We might have to rent him for our, uh, our trip up to Milwaukee. <laughs> Just like have him come up with his big beard and his like cotton, like really nice cotton shirts and uh, his uh, cotton towel. Like maybe he could just work the grill like the whole time and we'll just give him a ticket. Like, I'll tell my wife she has to stay home. Um, but yeah, no, I, it's just, it was great. And, and, and the, the fun thing about these and Josh, and I know, cause you're a famous guy too. You, you felt this, like you see people walk up and they look at you like they don't, they don't know if they can approach you, you know? And you're just like, just get, get over here get over here let me give you a hug you <laughs> know like yeah. like like i'm i'm vaccinated i don't give a shit i'm gonna i'm definitely gonna give you a big give big hug and i and if somebody's wearing a 108 tank top if somebody has taken their hard-earned money and like and you would say the same thing with you josh like if they have a, a socks machine shirt i want to talk to that person you know like i mean i don't want to talk to a guy that's got a socks machine shirt on but if they have a 108 <laughs> like tank top on i definitely want to talk to them and i, I was going to be like you know because they first of all but they got a they got a socks machine shirt they, they didn't want to talk to me and like they want to hear some good knowledge on some shit they don't want to worry about like how good this giveaway that we're getting today you know like so but yeah i, I it was just like i want to support our fans back and be like yeah let me talk to you like let's 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 like get let's get loose come have a, come have a shandy and get drunk with me. You know, like that's, that's what this is about. And it was so much fun to see everybody out and just having fun. And there's no fights and people are seeing Ken W.O. And they're like, God, that guy's an asshole. And then everyone that went over and talked to him came back and said, God, he's not what he is on Twitter. And it's like, thank you. That's what we've been saying for like four years. You know, like he's not the heel that you think he is. He's, he's just that guy. He, like he's like a, a good suburban guy. dad. Yes. <laughs> suburban dad. who's like a teddy bear that just wants to hug you, you know? Well, there are Sox machine listeners from the Southside Sox days that definitely know what you're talking about. My Sox summer when it comes to, when it comes to Ken. Uh, so let's move over to stadium hacks. So you guys mentioned some difficulties on Friday. Uh, and the long lines, uh, cause whenever you go to a sold out crowd, no matter what stadium you're going to be facing some type of lines, uh, beef, what are some of your favorite stadium hacks that you like to share? Cause I understand you don't want to share yeah. all of your hacks. You want to <laughs> share right. the secret sauce that makes your experience at the stadium as best as possible. 
But what are some tips you can give to other White Sox fans that haven't attended a game at Guaranteed Rate Field this season? Absolutely. So one super obvious thing that I, I'll share with everyone is that if you're entering sort of coming out of the, uh, if you if you parked south, so if you're parking on like 37th Street, 39th off Pershing, whatever, and you're coming in that direction, I would recommend you go to gate two because gate two has the gate where you can just hold all your stuff over your head and walk straight through. And you don't have to put it in the little thing and, and slide it through and have security touch all your stuff. And it's so much faster to get into the ballpark in gate two than it is in gate three. So like, that's, that's one real obvious thing. Not a lot of people were taking advantage of that yet. You know, they, they were, they were, a lot of people were, were bunched up at gate three and we walked all the way around. We did this a couple different days. We did it on Friday as well. Like that's, that's an angle I, I expect you to take. And I, and I actually think the white Sox eventually are going to relent and do that kind of at every gate because it's such an easier way to get people in the ballpark faster and most people don't have that much stuff on them. So it's nice and easy to like, you can visually see it and also you're walking through with it. So like, that's, that's one clear thing uh, as, as far as a hack goes. Um, other than that, I mean, I, I guess the, um, you know, there, there's no general, like the, the, the team has been very sensitive to making sure everyone is on the right level. There's no, there's no like buy 500 tickets and, and slide down to 100 level mm-hmm. hacks anymore. I don't think that, nope. I think that stuff's kind of gone away. Um, one hack, I'll, I'll give away one hack that someone has given me and I've not used yet. If the beer lines are unbearable and you just want a Modelo, there's a sandwich shop right behind 108 that has like the carved sandwiches and everything. They sell Modelos there. So you can get in that line, which no <laughs> one will be in and you can get a beer or two really quickly. So that's, that's a quick hack for anyone. I, I, I'm sorry to the people that have told me this before our, our dear friends. I apologize for putting this out there on a podcast where everyone's going to hear it, but that's a nice little hack. If you just need a quick Modelo or two. All right. Modelo, my summer. Modelo, you can definitely get through the app too. So like, that's something that you might be able to like get a little easier as, as since they fixed it so that you can, you can maybe get that. So maybe don't go to the $15 carved, um ham state like sandwich station and and fuck up you know that guy's fucking work but uh, my big thing and this is my this would be my biggest thing if you want to get a giveaway right you got to show up right when those gates open and that's an hour and a half before the time goes if you don't make it right away don't worry about it half hour into like that that situation there is no line so if you want to get like say you want to get the basketball jersey yeah, you know what? You you show up a half hour after gates open, there's probably no line. But say you don't want to go in. Okay. Well, you know what? Go to the box office because you know what? They still have $10 tickets in the upper deck. And if you think $10 is pretty good for like a basketball jersey or a bobblehead, you can pick up an extra ticket at the box office for about, I think it's under $12. And then you can go outside and drink six beers, which will be way less than $12 if you went in the park. So like you're saving a lot of money. Plus you're getting the giveaway that you want. You burn that ticket. And that's, I mean, to me, that's it. Like I was at the tailgate. Uh, we were right by the, uh, old home plate, like, uh, um, from old Comiskey. And I was just watching them still giving away, you know, giveaways. And the weather was like horrible so like that's not a that's not a legit like it's not a really like a big thing but like like 
they still had them like quarter to two when it was going to be a two fifteen game, but like you could sit there and watch them and you're like, you know what? Maybe I should go buy that ten dollar ticket, and go get my basketball jersey, and then I'll come out here and chill with the one oh eight guys or the sax machine guys, drink like a couple more Goose Island shandies, and then I'll go in. And you saved your money. Like it's it's twelve bucks, but like a beer is twelve dollars inside. So you know you still get your giveaway, whatever. You're helping the team a little bit. That's a, that's a, that's probably my biggest. Act. So we can combine these, wait a half an hour after the gates open, mm-hmm. go get a $12 ticket, go to gate two. So yep. you can go to the Museum. security where you just raise your hands and they don't check bags uh, and get your giveaway, walk out, go tailgate some more and use your original ticket to yes. enter into the stadium. That's correct. Yep. hundred <laughs> percent. Combined together. That's right. So you get your giveaway. You can go back, have more fun. You don't have to be inside the stadium and you can still get into the 100 level if you have a 100 level ticket. Right. And, and, I, and that's the thing, Josh. And, and if this is for a, a, per, a party that's going in that wants to drink. Like it's not for a guy that's just there to like, you know, oh, hey, I, wanna, I want some grilled onions on my hot dog guy. This is the guy that like, I'm going to drink seven beers. So like I can save, you know, 60 bucks if i stay outside for one more hour you know it's like it's not it's not the guy that just wants to go in and have one drink you know keep your 100 level ticket if you want to do that get in there a little early but if you want to get the giveaway and then save some money on the drink end yeah that's that that's the best way to do it i think well the white Sox have four home games against the minnesota twins we will be previewing that series here at a moment on the Sox machine podcast they don't have another home series until after the all-star break that's a big home series as the Houston Astros will be visiting guarantee rate field. That is going to be a well attended series. So if you haven't attended a white Sox game yet, these are great tips. This is great knowledge to have. And I really appreciate beef loaf and my Sox summer from the one Oh eight joining the Sox machine podcast. You could follow them on Twitter. Beef loaf is at Mr. Delicious 13. You can follow my Sox summer at my Sox summer. And of course, follow at from the 108 and you can listen to the from the 108 podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and also watch them on youtube at youtube.com slash from the 108 beef my sock summer thank you guys so much for joining the socks machine podcast josh thanks so much bro we really appreciate it we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Chicago White Sox continue this homestand with four games against the Minnesota Twins. 
The Twins are currently 33 and 43 on the season. However, in their last 10 games, they are heating up. They have won seven of their last 10, and they did the White Sox a huge solid by winning their series against Cleveland. Without the Twins winning that series, it might be a tie for first place in the American League Central instead of a a two-and-a-half game lead for the Chicago White Sox. When it comes to first-half stories, though, in the American League, as we approach the midseason mark in 2021, when you're looking at team performances, the Minnesota Twins' struggles are right up there as one of the biggest surprises. A lot of people thought that they would win the American League Central or it would be a battle with the Chicago White Sox, and that just hasn't been that way for the Twins in the first half. But we still have 80-plus games left to go in the season, and after a good weekend, is there a sign of life for the Minnesota Twins? Are they not out of this race? And what kind of team will the White Sox be facing this week? Well, joining me from Access Twins to preview this series, it's Brandon Warren. And Brandon, thanks for coming on the Sox Machine podcast. I'm happy to be here, and I'm happy to be here talking about a Twins team that is at least starting to do a little more than tread water, which, man, I've had some disappointing Twins seasons in my lifetime, both as a fan and as a person covering them. But this one's right up there with the most disappointing, because when you expect to be bad and you're bad, whatever when you expect to be pretty good and you're bad whatever when you expect to be quite good and you're bad that really stinks well let's start there because what the heck is going on with this twins team why are they still 10 games (laughs) below 500 well they dug a hole early in the season and they just haven't gotten out of it because of injuries and it's a big hole and i think if you were to break down their day-to-day lineups and try to find a common thread between how many games they've had Nelson Cruz, Josh Donaldson, and Byron Buxton in the same lineup. Let's see, they've played 70, 76 games as of today. I would be willing to bet that number is 10 or 10 to 15 probably. And obviously Byron Buxton has been having just a maniacal start to his season and he comes back starts hitting homers again lasts almost two games breaks his hand and uh josh donaldson got hurt on the first at bat of the season nelson cruz has dealt with you know some stuff that's probably a little more age related than we hope to to see at this point and so just that lack of cohesion on offense has been just enough to keep them off kilter the pitching staff has not been good make no mistake it's been it's been pretty bad but it's where they're at in terms of record and where they're at in terms of skill. I think any unbiased fan of any team would say, yeah, it shouldn't be this bad. And I even, even in one of my recent posts on access twins, I invoked the concept that you look at the white Sox and the injuries they've dealt with, you know, with an outfield that has Lurie Garcia and Billy Hamilton and Adam Eaton on a given night or whoever, uh, you know, Brian Goodwin, any of those guys, you wouldn't expect a team like that to run away with the division. You just wouldn't. Or if you look at the Mets who've like had Billy McKinney out there a whole bunch and Albert Almora Jr. is playing some injuries are a reason to an extent, but the twins should not be 10 games under 500. They should be about 500. The rest of the division is not going to kill them because of the injuries they've dealt with. And teams are dealing with them everywhere. You can say the twins have had as much talent as anybody on the injured list, but it's really crushed them more than it has other teams. And I think that's, like I said, it's, it's inexcusable. 
if you are a positive Twins fan, you would look at the 33 and 43 record right now and say, hey, the Twins are tied for third place in the American League Central. But you could also say they're tied for last place because Kansas City and Detroit uh, also have 33-43 record as Kansas City continues a nosedive. They're not playing very good baseball right now. Uh, and the Royals may go from first place after the month of April to last place in the American League Central after the month of June. So that's kind of the status of the American League Central. You mentioned Byron Buxton. Is he going to be available for this series? And if not, what is the expectation from the Minnesota Twins on seen Byron Buxton back in the lineup? No, I think the, the best hope for him is probably out of the shoot after the all-star break. Um, you know, he was hit on the hand with a pitch against Cincinnati. They had a quick two gamer against the Reds at target field. And um, he managed to stay in the game and he played another defensive inning, maybe two, and then came out of the game and Nick Gordon was out there. Nick Gordon's a guy you guys will probably see a little bit in this upcoming series, but yeah, the, the hope is to get him back just after the break. Um, no pun intended. <laughs> um, it's tough because that gives you two weeks until the trade deadline. Fortunately, the twins are in a stretch. I think they're next 20 or 21 are next uh, are against the division. They've got Kansas city after the white Sox, So hopefully they can continue the Royals in their tailspin. And I did see that at the trade deadline in 2017, when the twins played in the wild card game, I think they were 43 and 48. So being under 500 at the deadline, isn't a death knell. It's certainly not preferable, mm -hmm. but if they can continue to cut into that deficit and find themselves, you know, seven games under after this next week and five after that, it's baby steps. It's, you know, how do you eat an elephant? Well, one piece at a time. Yeah, if, if Buxton does not return until after the all-star break, uh, the White Sox are currently five and one against the Twins. They have seven games against the Twins over the next two weeks here before the All-Star break. Well, that's 13 games between the White Sox and Twins that the Twins did not have Byron Buxton. And that is a, and we keep saying this on the show. Yes, the White Sox overachieving and you remember Mercedes having the big April and not drowning with all these injuries is a reason why they're in first place. Also right. helping their odds of winning the division is that the Minnesota Twins are struggling. And if you told me before the season, Brandon, that, by the way, Byron Buxton's going to miss the first 13 games between the White Sox and Twins, I would say the White Sox have to capitalize on that because he is their best player. So that's from a White Sox perspective. That's where it's mind blowing is that it's really unfortunate for the twins that they're, they're not going to have Buxton for 13 of the 19 games that the white Sox and twins are going to play. So that obviously helps the white Sox big time because Buxton always performs well against the white Sox. So with Buxton being out and Josh Donaldson, as you mentioned, dealing with nagging injuries and Nelson Cruz dealing with nagging injuries offensively for the twins, who's hot right now entering this, these four games. Well, uh, Jorge Polanco has really turned it on. He's been playing second base. Anderson Simmons had a homer today, and he's been playing really good shortstop, as you'd, you know, you'd pretty much expect. Um, Nelson Cruz has really turned it on. Josh Donaldson has turned it on of late. It seems like it's with a good offense, it's somebody different every day. And you really can call the Twins a good offense. I mean, I think coming in today, they had an OPS plus of 110. I mean, that's a, that's a solid offense. And I think, too, I don't know how much the crackdown on pitchers is helping the Twins offense spike versus 
getting some guys back healthy. Max Kepler's back. He's not swinging it very well, but he's back. And the they, they're still waiting on Mitch Garver to come back. Again, another guy where if you were to mix and match with who's been healthy all at once, it's never really correlated. So, um, but Luis Arise since coming back has really played well. Uh, I don't believe, okay, so there'll be Carlos Rodon. That's the only lefty he'll face in the whole series. So he'll probably hit top of the order the rest of the series. He usually hits seventh, eighth against lefties, but he's just a pest at the top of the order. And right now he's, he's on everything. He had a couple triples the other night against the, against Cleveland and he's looking really, really good. So um, Trevor Larnick has been good. The, the offense is somebody different every night. There's not one guy you really have to look out for outside of, I'd say Nelson Cruz. And he hit like a 430 foot bomb today off um, a guy making his MLB debut out of the bullpen for Cleveland. So it was one of those days for Cleveland. Let's just say that. Miguel Sano, what's going on? Is he still a core piece of this Minnesota Twins, or are there second thoughts moving forward after this season? Well, I mean, he's going to have to be here next year because it's, his contract is such that I don't think they'd get anything for him in a trade. And he's still the kind of offensive player who can carry you when he's hot. Mm-hmm. He is, you know, I'd, I'd have to click on his splits to take a look. He was up to a 97 OPS plus coming in today. I know he had a hit and a walk at, at the very least. I was listening on the way home. I was out of town for the weekend. So I know he had a decent day at the plate. And so he's been about league average, but he's been losing playing time to Alex Kirilov at first base because even with Buxton out, the Twins have been going with Larnick and left, Kepler and right, and then either Nick Gordon or Gilberto Celestino in center. And so that has left – Sano kind of the odd man out between Cruz DHing and Kirilov playing first and Kirilov's doing a pretty good job. He's a good defensive first baseman. Um, hasn't had quite the discipline we'd hoped for from a, from a twin standpoint, but he's, he's done a nice job offensively. And so right now Sano's in a holding pattern where he's pinch hitting late in games and kind of every other day getting to play until he finds his swing. And if he never finds a swing and hits a buck 93 all season, he might play in 85, 90 games instead of 120, 130. The pitching problems for this series on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. These are night games at seven o'clock. Knock on wood, White Sox fans, uh, that the weather holds up. There's more rain coming through the Chicagoland area this week after already getting a big amount of rain this past weekend. Uh, Monday, it's Kenta Maeda for the Twins against Lucas Giolito. Tuesday, it's Bailey Ober against Dylan Cease. Wednesday, this is a great matchup. It's Jose Barreos against Carlos Rodon. And on Thursday for the Twins, they currently have to be announced as this is the the 1.10 p.m. Central Time start getaway day as the White Sox uh, leave Chicago for a nine-game road trip before the All-Star break. It'll be Lance Lynn, who only made it through three innings in his last start before the rain came crashing down ending that start early. He should be pretty fresh after only throwing 47 pitches on Saturday. Uh, All right, Brandon, who is Bailey Ober? So he was added to the 40 after, I want to say it was after last season. Big, tall guy, big, strong kid. He's, I'm trying to think of who he'll remind you of. Chris Young is kind of the easy comparison because he's like 6'9", 260 pounds. Um he doesn't really have, I don't think, that John Roush build. Obviously, you would remember John yeah. Roush as well as I do. Uh, definitely more of a Chris Young build. Not overpowering, but I want to say he was like 
in the minors, he's been a lot closer to 91, 93 in the big leagues, striking people out, locating really well. Um, <clears throat> as with most guys of that height, he's a fly ball guy, and those balls can leave the park. But he's he's got a little more than I think most people expected in terms of skill. And it was enough to push Matt Shoemaker out of the rotation, which is not saying very much at this point. But he's he's all right. You know, he's, he's, he seems like he's going to be – a decent enough number four starter maybe in the future. He's not going to blow anybody away, but you need number fours too. So um, I'd, what I'm curious about is if he'll hold his rotation spot when Michael Pineda comes back. And I'm curious if that might be the Thursday game. I'm not sure where he lines up because I haven't kept up with his rehab closely enough. But if he lines up for Thursday, you know, that's that's about the best you could hope for as the Twins – um, lining guys up based on where they're at rotation wise right now. They just, they're not in a perfect spot, but it's better than sending Matt Shoemaker out there every fifth day and Randy Dobnak's hurt. So yeah, I get the sense it might be Pineda on Thursday, but I don't want to be taken to task if it's not. <laughs> well, Pineda against Lynn would be a great Thursday afternoon matchup mm-hmm. before the 4th of July weekend. Uh, Jose Breos is still good. I love watching him pitch, even though it's in a Minnesota Twins uniform. Uh, I think he's maybe one of the most underrated pitchers in Major League Baseball. Kenta Maeda, it's been touch and go this season for him. What's been the difference for Maeda compared to last season when he was in the top three in the Cy Young? I think his slider is getting hit pretty hard, and Mm -hmm. so he needs to set that up better. I don't think he's locating and moving it in and out of the strike zone quite as he had hoped because – I, I was kind of poking around with some of his peripherals the other day. And as far as guys whose sliders have been hit hard, he was like top five in MLB and OPS against his slider. Um, his slider doesn't have to be perfect for him to be on, but it's got to be pretty good. He's got a good changeup. He locates his fastball. And I think we were all kind of spoiled last year by that second in the AL Cy Young finish. But you know, he should be a reliable number two starter. And I think that's the way he's trending, but then he battled a groin injury that, um, you know, it birthed actually a really funny gift that people can probably find online of him stretching it out. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, I think he's heading in the right direction. I think Barrios continues to head in the right direction and Ober is interesting. He's not going to be super exciting, but you know, those are your first three guys. They'll at least give him a chance. You know, it shouldn't be a, a 10 to blow in any of these games until, uh, you know, until it happens. And then I look like an idiot with egg on my face. <laughs> uh, the bullpen who is Rocco Baldelli trusting right now when the twins had the lead going into the sixth inning and beyond. Nobody. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> so, so hear me out. The, the plan was actually fairly sound. They were going to do a core four of, and obviously, you know, Alex Colome and he's not Alex Colome wasn't going to be as good as last year's numbers indicated. But one thing that I noticed in his numbers was that his swinging strike rate and his strikeout rate didn't match up. His swinging strike rate was in the mix with a bunch of guys who were striking out anywhere from 10 to 11 guys per nine. So you can get strike one and strike two, but maybe not strike three. You're still putting guys in compromising positions. So in theory, if you look at his numbers, the last five or six years, you could have expected at least a reliable seventh inning guy. They have not got that. I think that's fairly obvious, but then a core four with him, Taylor Rogers, Tyler Duffy and Hansel Robles should be able to hang. 
they've had a really good track record of identifying guys either via spin rate, velocity, or having a slider that they've turned into pretty good relievers. Matt Whistler was one, and they non-tendered him. He went to the Giants, fell apart, and then now he's with the Rays. They've done that with Luke Farrell, though he's on the injured list. Um, but we remember him from the Royals, so we've seen mm-hmm. Luke Farrell before. They've, uh, they've, they've tried to do that with a few different guys that, that didn't really work. Sean Anderson got claimed off waivers by the Rangers. Um, Jorge Alcala has big-time stuff, but lefties eat him up, and he gives up a lot of homers. Um, Caleb Fieldbar is a, a lefty, kind of a junk baller, but he, I think the best person I could compare him to that you would be aware of would be like a Ross Dietweiler or Detweiler yep. in terms of a lefty who just gets people out when they're on. Um, but the, yeah, the plan would have been the front end would have been guys like, like Farrell and Stashak, and they had Randy Dobnek in a long roll. The, the process was sound, and then they were going to mix in guys like Ian Hamilton, who I'm sure you remember from the yep. White Sox. And Juan Manaya, who I'm sure you remember from the White Sox. <laughs> Old friends. He, oh, yeah, yeah he, he passed through here and was uh, was not very good. So the process was sound, but when Colome blew up, that every time a reliever blows up, it moves someone into a role they aren't cut out for, and it's a domino effect. Rogers is the only one who's been really great. Robles has been okay, but he walks too many batters. Duffy got off to a slow start. He's kind of picked it up of late, but he's not striking anybody out like he was before. And so just those small incremental declines from three-fourths of those guys caused the bullpen to go from should be respectable to what the hell is this yeah and you the the funny thing is and i was talking to somebody about this the other day basically this pitching staff in 2019 with the rabbit ball that rob manfred introduced owned like they're getting everybody out now they don't have jake odorizzi for instance but you know he he had a tough year last year and they still had a good pitching staff now with pitchers dominating everything, they've completely fallen apart. There's no rhyme or reason outside of uh, a couple of their signings and Jay Happ and Matt Shoemaker went sideways. So at 33-43, this is a big four-game series for the Twins. And again, yeah. next week, they have three games at home against the White Sox. They could really change their fortunes. They, they have an opportunity to get themselves back into the race. We are about a month away from the trade deadline. What do you think the Minnesota twins are thinking about right now in the front office? Are they going to try to buy and reverse their fortune? Are they planning on selling or do they just stay with the status quo and do nothing? I mean, I think they're going to ride the fence. The problem is, and and I was listening to the Cleveland tele or uh, radio broadcast today while I was driving, because that's a nice thing is you can pop in an earbud and listen to, the visiting one, I, I get to hear the Minnesota guys all the time. So I hear mm-hmm. the visitors and Tom Hamilton made a good point. He said, you know, everybody's going to want pitching. So there's not going to be any pitching available. I mean, they talk about Jose Barrios being available. You and I both know that's pretty much not going to be the case, but like they talked about John means from the Orioles and now he's hurt. Might've been one of the best guys that would have been available. So if the twins aren't going to be able to add a starting pitcher, and I think they still should, and I'm going to write about it this week. They should, I think they should trade for Kyle Gibson. Um, I don't think he'd cost as much as Lance Lynn did for the White Sox because he's he's just not quite that caliber pitcher, no matter how well he's pitched this year. If you if they can get their hands on another reliable number four starter, I'd think about that. Otherwise, you know, you troll the market for relievers. I don't think the offense needs anything that's going to move the needle. But the reason why, and I wrote this on, I think it was Friday, 
the reason why I don't think they're complete or no, it's Thursday. They're, they're completely throwing their um, hands up and saying it's over. They signed two relievers with fairly recognizable names. It was Kyle Bearclaw and Nick Vincent to minor league deals and sent them to St. Paul. Now I might be reading too much into minor league deals for relievers, but those guys have been good enough, recent enough to make you think, well, maybe, maybe one of those guys can turn into just an average ish reliever. Mm -hmm. And that, again, that starts stacking your bullpen back up in the direction of uh, respectable because Kyle Bearclaw got some big outs for the Marlins, but it was three, four years ago. Nick Vincent though, he's been around for a long time and he's been pretty good. He's not overpowering. So I get the sense if they're adding guys like that, they still see a sliver of hope and baseball perspectives has them with the best odds of anybody at like, I think 10% of winning the division and like 14% of making the playoffs. So again, they're pretty bearish though on the white Sox. They say 89 wins for the white Sox, 83 for the twins. Now, if I looked at the white Sox roster and who they've been playing in the outfield and the injuries they've dealt with, and you said 89 wins, I'd say, okay. But you can't take away the wins they already have. You know, when you mm -hmm. talked about how well they overachieved and your mean Mercedes playing awesome, the, the whole thing about that is there's still some sense of quote unquote momentum. I don't really believe in momentum, but you can't take away the wins that may not add up, whether it's Pythagorean wins or base runs or any of those things. Like that's the one thing I think we lose sight of with our kind of geekier stats is those wins are already banked and don't affect anything moving forward. Right. So uh, 89 wins for me seems like uh, low, but at the same time too, they, they do have the struggles that you kind of might still expect them to go through that could give them a stretch where they go, you know, four and 10 or something. And that changes your, your view a lot more from, from 10,000 feet. So, um, you know, there's a lot going on here. I still think the twins view themselves as, potentially in the mix, but I don't think they're going to overextend. And if they do trade anybody, it's the impending free agents. Uh, Jay Happ pitched really well today. So maybe he gets, you know, especially with this pitching market, maybe he brings you back a C plus prospect that, um, you know, you turn into Eduardo Escobar in the future, like the twins did with Liriano back in 2011. Yeah. Eduardo Escobar, old friend for both the twins and white Sox, And who knows, uh -huh. maybe he'll be on the white Sox roster. Uh, if Bob Nightingale is correct and a trade is imminent between the white Sox. And he's, the he's usually not though. That's the problem. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, uh, that is true. The white Sox and twins are playing seven times over the next 10 games. This is a pretty critical stretch for both of these teams. It'll be interesting to see on how it plays out. Follow Brandon on Twitter. He's at Brandon underscore Warren and read his work on Access Twins. Really good stuff from Brandon. He's got excellent, it's excellent intelligence on one of the White Sox rivals. So I always recommend finding good writers from opposing teams and read their thoughts, especially when the White Sox are going to have an upcoming series against them. And Brandon does terrific work covering the Minnesota Twins. So again, follow him on Twitter. He's at Brandon underscore Warren, and he won't get into those uh, Twitter wars and battles like some other White Sox I shouldn't say not White Sox writers, but Minnesota Twins writers. <laughs> I know I know Ted is very popular with White Sox Twitter. Uh, <laughs> Keep so. doing that. I, I love it. Uh, <laughs> the stories I could tell, man, uh, that'd be another day. But thank you for the kind words. Uh, 
I think it's always good to know your enemy, like Rage Against the Machine said. So yes. if you know who you're going up against, that's half the battle. Yeah. So Brandon, thank you so much for coming on the Sox Machine podcast. We'll talk soon. Thank you. You've stuffed our mailbox all week with questions from your tweets and Facebook posts. Now to cure your curiosity on the White Sox, here is P.O. Sox. Thanks, Rob. And yes, this is our favorite part of the show where you, our fans and listeners, get to ask the questions. It's P.O. Sox, where you submitted your questions to us via Twitter. Tweet them to us at Sox Machine. Or the best way to get your question or topic answered on the Sox Machine podcast is becoming a Sox Machine Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash Machine. And we got quite a few questions this week that I'll be answering for you guys. So let's get started. The first question that we got from one of our Patreon supporters is from Alec. And Alec asked, what DEFCON level would you put the White Sox at right now? So I had to look this up because I'm, I'm not a military guy. I don't come from a military family. So from what I understand with my Googling is that DEFCON level five is the absolute lowest. There's nothing to be worried about. DEFCON 1, there are nukes in the air. <laughs> there's a, there's already a, a war going on. That is the highest level the DEFCON level could reach. So between being very chill and having no worries to a meltdown and the world is ending, I think based on what I mentioned at the beginning of the show regarding Jose Abreu getting hit in the knee, and the White Sox need for more offense, hence the Eduardo Escobar trade rumors. I think putting the White Sox at DEFCON level three makes sense because this offense is performing so poorly that it really doesn't matter how good the White Sox starting pitching is, especially when you combine it with a bullpen that is pretty shaky. The White Sox, if they just averaged four runs a game in the last couple of weeks, if they could just muster four runs in a game, that would give me more confidence that they'll produce more wins. Uh, However, some of their more recent losses, I mean, the White Sox starting pitchers got beat up in Houston. There was the meltdown in Pittsburgh, which the Pirates ended up scoring six runs. The White Sox were up 7-2 on Sunday, and then that became a 7-5 game real quick as Mitch Haneker hit that three-run homer in the seventh inning off Jimmy Lambert. But if the White Sox could you know, score four runs, they win the Carlos Rodon start in Houston, and they win game one on Sunday, the suspended game. Even if Taylor uh, Trammell hits that home run off Liam Hendricks, he would still have another run buffer, and the Mariners didn't get to four runs. So it's that secret number again, four runs. Can the White Sox get to four runs? With the way that this roster's built, no. They cannot consistently get to four runs. So that's why I think the DEFCON level, I would put it at three. This is an urgent issue that must be addressed. No, I don't think there are any reliable internal resources the White Sox front office can lean on. And this does require action. The White Sox front office needs to act and needs to add somebody externally to help out this offense. Add another bat, which is why it makes all the sense in the world for Eduardo Escobar to join the White Sox. But as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, folks in Arizona don't know what Bob Nightingale is talking about. 
And from their perspective, nothing is imminent, but hopefully something is because the White Sox need another bat. Alec, thank you so much for your question. Our next question, a fellow Patreon supporter, comes from Mark Hope. And Mark wrote, there are 28 games until the trade deadline. What is the White Sox record over that period? So I did some behind-the-napkin math. And looking at the White Sox schedule, so again, it's four games against the Minnesota Twins. That's at home. That's the next series. After that series, over 4th of July weekend, they are in Detroit for three games. After 4th of July, they head up to Minneapolis for three games there. So it's seven games against the Minnesota Twins over the next 10, just like we talked about with Brandon Warren. Then they have an off day on July 8th, and then they head to Baltimore for three games. Then you have the four days off for the All-Star break. Then the White Sox come home after the All-Star break. They have three games against the Houston Astros, so another tough series for the White Sox. Three more games against the Minnesota Twins. Then they have an off day, and then they go to Milwaukee for three games. The Brewers have been pitching terrifically, and who knows on how the pitching matchups will be. That can be very entertaining, especially if you love starting pitching. After those three games in Milwaukee, then the White Sox travel to Kansas City, and that team is nosediving right now, uh, for four games. And then leading up to the trade deadline, the White Sox are at home against Cleveland. So that's what the schedule looks like right now for the White Sox between June 28th and into the end of July and the trade deadline. And with those 28 games, Mark... I am assuming, this is my working assumption, that Eduardo Escobar will be joining the White Sox during this time frame. If he does, I think the White Sox could finish 15 and 13. And that puts him at 60 and 45 at the end of July. Needing 30 more wins to get to 90, in which I think that's going to be the benchmark to win the American League Central in 2021. Without Eduardo Escobar, we're probably looking at 13 and 15 or 12 and 16 for the White Sox. I mean, these are really tough games, and the Twins are playing much better baseball. Detroit is 25 and 20 in their last 45 games, and they just won their series against Houston. They're playing much better baseball. The Astros wiped the White Sox all over the floor at Minute Maid Park. Uh, Who knows what shape the Astros will be in because they have the most all-star finalists. So they could have a lot of core players coming from Denver to Chicago, not getting much of a break. The Brewers right now look like they could win the National League Central. So really the only break that you've got right now as far as teams playing poorly is Kansas City. And that's at the end of July. And who knows, they they may have Bobby Wood Jr. on their roster as he just continues to tear up double A. So if Rick Hahn doesn't make a move, if he waits to the very last minute, Mark, yeah, I could see the White Sox having a losing stretch over the next 28 games. And they're already 3-7 and seven in their last 10 games. So that would be a pretty lengthy losing uh, stretch for the 2021 Chicago White Sox. But like I mentioned, if he can get Eduardo Escobar added to the roster, I think the White Sox can finish a little bit above 500. I think 15 and 13 over the 28 game span is fair if they add Escobar. 
They don't add Escobar. Then I also think it's fair to expect the White Sox to have a losing uh, record during this stretch where they go 13 and 15. And instead of 60 and 45, they got 48 wins and they're fifth, you know, uh, 50, I'm sorry, 58. They'll be 58 and 47 if they go 13 and 15, which being 11 games above 500 is still good. We'll just have to keep an eye on how Cleveland also plays during that stretch. And if the White Sox don't play well against the Minnesota Twins, I know the Twins are 10 games um, below 500, but do they now believe and do they make decisions based on how they play against the White Sox over the next 10 days? And do they buy to try to find pitching help and get themselves back in the American League Central race? Like, the White Sox have these great odds to win the division because partly in how they started in April and May, but also a huge benefit to them is how poorly the Minnesota Twins have been playing. So I don't want to see the Twins get life here. It'd be great if Rick Hahn can make an addition soon, Mark. But that's just how I feel. 15-13 or 13-15 over these next 28 games. They are pretty critical. And uh, hopefully Rick Hahn does make a move. Our next question comes from Twitter, and it comes from Rob. And Rob is asking about Garrett Crochet, and he tweeted to us, who are good comps for Garrett Crochet at his ceiling and at his floor? And I like this question because it does come on the heels of Garrett Crochet having another bad outing against Seattle. So that's three straight bad outings for Garrett Crochet, the meltdown in Houston, the meltdown in Pittsburgh, walking three and then Larusa just had enough in the third inning and quickly swapped him for Evan Marshall. And let's start with the ceiling. I'm going to use specific seasons because to me, Garrett Crochet is going to be a reliever and relievers are fickle. I don't buy the White Sox plan of trying to turn Garrett Crochet into a starting pitcher. I don't think it's going to happen. So I think at his absolute best, as far as ceiling, I'm thinking Garrett Crochet could be like 2016 Andrew Miller, who got traded from the Yankees to Cleveland, helped Cleveland get to the World Series that year as they were one win away from winning the World Series. We all know that the Chicago Cubs won Game 7. In that season, Andrew Miller was a 3.8 war reliever. And I do think Garrett Crochet, if he regains the velocity we saw from last season in 2020, has the ability to be that dominant out of the bullpen. Pitches two innings in every appearance, gets four or five strikeouts, offenses can't score any runs against him. That would help as far as his wins above replacement, and it would help the White Sox greatly win games. His floor... I think is 2007 Matt Thornton. In that season, Matt Thornton had a 4.79 ERA and his season total was 0.7 wins above replacement according to baseball reference. Big arm, you know he can get strikeouts. The results are just not there or they're very uneven. Good weeks followed up by bad weeks. A 2007 Matt Thornton is not what you expect out of the 11th pick of the Major League Baseball draft. You're probably expecting more of 2016 Andrew Miller. But I feel like if the end result of Garrett Crochet's career is going to be between a 2007 Matt Thornton 
and 2016 Andrew Miller, I find that to be fair. And we'll see if Garrett Crochet can regain that velocity and inch closer to that ceiling of a 2016 Andrew Miller or a present-day Josh Hader. I definitely think Garrett Crochet has the tools, but this has not been three straight now uh, good appearances for Crochet. Lost the game in Houston, lost the game in Pittsburgh, and was taken out before things got really bad against Seattle. I don't know if it's injury-related. I don't know if there's a mechanical problem uh, in his throwing motion. It does need to get figured out, though, because while the offense has been sputtering, the White Sox the White Sox need better performances out of the bullpen, and that starts with Garrett Crochet. So, Rob, thank you so much for your question. Also coming from Twitter is a question from Maldi, and Maldi is asking, with Mike Rodolfo hitting the ball well, at Stingy Birmingham, and considering his status, do you think he gets a promotion soon to Charlotte with the thought he could contribute in October for the White Sox? Well, looking at Mike Rodolfo, first his age, because this is important. I understand development is not linear. Adolfo is 24 years old. He turns 25 in September. He is becoming an older prospect, especially at AA. Before Sunday's game, Adolfo's slash line was a 241 batting average, on-base percentage of 328. He's slugging 531. He had 12 home runs before Sunday's game, and I think he hit another home run on Sunday, so he probably has more than 12 home runs. The power is legit. When I'm watching video on Adolfo, you got to buy into his power. It is legit. Adolfo is striking out 36% of the time. He has always struck out at a very alarming rate. It's way too high, in my opinion, to be an effective major leaguer. Could he run into some pitches and hit some homers in the major leagues? Yes. But I wouldn't be surprised that if you're striking out 36% of the time in double A, that you're going to be striking out 36% of the time in the majors. I mean, that's one out of three at-bats that's going to end in a strikeout. And he doesn't walk. So it's more all or nothing with Adolfo. And when I look at Adolfo, I could see where he has a Randy Arena impact that Tampa Bay was the benefactors of during the 2020 postseason where a Rosarena hit 10 home runs in the postseason. Adolfo could get hot on any level and have that type of stretch where he just hits 10 home runs in a couple of weeks. Because again, the power is legit. And if you promote Adolfo to AAA, I think he's still going to hit a lot of home runs. The question that I've got is, can he stop striking out? Can he do more than just hit the ball out of the ballpark because while it does produce highlights, it's just not a consistent offensive source. And the White Sox need more consistent offensive sources. Yes, they need more home runs, but they need someone that can do other things too once out of every six at-bats. You know, they don't need someone that hits a home run every six at-bats and the other five at-bats, they're striking out. That's just not going to be effective for the White Sox. So to answer the first part of your question, Yeah, it doesn't seem like double A is doing much right now 
to slow down Adolfo's power. So let's see what he could do in AAA, especially, again, if Jose Abreu has to go on the injured list or anybody else has to, and the White Sox have to call up Gavin Sheets to join the roster, then yeah, call up Mike Rodolfo to replace Gavin Sheets, and let's see what he does in AAA, because he's getting on the older side, and if the White Sox feel comfortable rushing Jake Berger to AAA, I say go ahead and challenge Mike Rodolfo. He's only been in the minor league system for eight years since they signed him when he was a 16-year-old. I mean, he's been around that long, folks. So, yeah, give Adolfo a shot at AAA. I don't think he's going to be joining the White Sox in 2021, but I should be careful with that because with the way the injuries are going, there might be a chance if things get pretty dire and Rick Hahn can't make any trades. And thank you to everyone that submitted questions this week for P.O. Sox. Terrific questions from everybody. Thank you guys so much. If you have a question or topic that you would like us to answer, in an upcoming episode of the Sox Machine podcast, again, follow us on Twitter. We are at Sox Machine. And you can also support us if you enjoy our work at patreon.com slash Sox Machine, where we have several different tiers of support starting at $2, $3, $5, and $10 a month, in which our Patreon supporters get exclusive content, ad-free version of the website and podcast, and first shot at any of our new swag items to purchase or also receive for free. We have been working on new swag items. I'm very excited. If you're following Jim on Twitter, you may have gotten a sneak peek at one of our new swag items. So if you're interested, go raid Jim's Twitter feed and maybe you'll see it in the open as we are uh, looking at options. And we're very excited about that new item. So again, if you're a first-time listener of the podcast and you like what you heard or you have been a Sox Machine lurker for months, if not years, and you haven't signed up on Patreon, go do so at patreon.com slash Machine. That will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening and thank you to our guests, Beef Loaf and My Sox Summer from the 108 and Brandon Warren from Access Twins joining me as we'll recap the Minnesota Twins series during Sox Machine Live, which we are targeting for that episode to be Thursday night on July 1st. And then we'll have a new podcast for you guys on Monday, July 5th. And in between, we'll have your White Sox wake-up calls to recap the action against the Minnesota Twins. It should be hopefully an exciting week of baseball for the Chicago White Sox as uh, these games get uh, pretty big. And if there are any trades that happened this week make sure to go to socksmachine.com as we'll have the news and our analysis of the deals that are made you can subscribe to the socks machine podcast wherever you listen to podcasts you can also subscribe to our youtube channel at youtube.com slash socks machine the socks machine podcast is a production of socksmachine.com your home for all things chicago white Sox baseball i'm josh nelson thanks for listening we